Part two, chapter three of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. On his return from the review, Kutuzov, accompanied by the Austrian general, went into his private room and, calling his adjutant, bade him bring certain papers relating to the state of the troops, and some letters received from the Archduke Ferdinand, the commander of the army of the van. Prince Andrei Bokonsky came into the commander-in-chief's office with the desired papers. Kutuzov and the member of the Hofkriegsroth were sitting at a table on which was spread a map. Ah, said Kutuzov, with a glance at Bolkonsky, signifying by his exclamation that the adjutant was to wait, while at the same time he went on in French with the conversation that he had begun. I have only one thing to say, General, proceeded Kutuzov with a pleasing elegance of diction and accent which constrained one to listen to each deliberately spoken word. It was evident that Kutuzov took pleasure in hearing himself. I have only one thing to say, General. If the matter depends solely on me, then the desire of His Majesty, the Emperor of France, would long ago have been fulfilled. I should long ago have joined the Archduke, and I assure you, on my honor, that for me personally, I should have rejoiced to give over the supreme command of the armies to a general so much more learned and more experienced than myself, and such men abound in Austria, and to be relieved of the heavy responsibility. But circumstances are often beyond our control, General. And Kutuzov smiled with an expression that seemed to say, You are at perfect liberty not to put any confidence in what I say, and it is absolutely of no consequence to me whether you believe me or not, but you have no need to tell me so, and that's all there is of it. The Austrian general looked dissatisfied, but could not do otherwise than reply in the same tone. On the contrary, said he, in a querulous and angry tone, that to put the lie to the flattering intention of his words, on the contrary, His Majesty highly appreciates the part that you have taken in the common cause, but we think that the present delay will rob the brave Russian army and their generals of those laurels which they are in the habit of winning in war, he rejoined, in a phrase evidently prepared beforehand. Kutuzov bowed, but still continued to smile. Well, such is my idea of it, and relying upon the last letter which His Highness the Archduke Ferdinand has done me the honor of writing me, I have no doubt that the Austrian army, under the command of such an experienced coadjutor as General Mack, has already won a decisive victory, and no longer needs our aid, said Kutuzov. The general frowned. There was indeed no accurate information about the condition of the Austrians, yet there was a prepondering weight of circumstantial evidence in favor of the unfavorable rumors that were in circulation, and therefore Kutuzov's assumptions of an Austrian victory seemed very much like a jest but Kutuzov smiled blandly, with an expression that seemed to affirm his right to make this assumption. In fact, the last letter that he had received from Mack's army informed him of a probable victory, and of the very advantageous strategical position of his army. "'Give me that letter,' said Kutuzov, addressing Prince Andrei. "'Have the goodness to listen to this.' And Kutuzov, with an ironical smile hovering on his lips, read in German to the Austrian general the following passage from the Archduke Ferdinand's letter. We have our forces perfectly concentrated. 
nearly seventy thousand strong, so that we can attack and defeat the enemy should he attempt to cross the Lech. Since we are masters of Ulm, we cannot lose the advantage of having control of both banks of the Danube. Moreover, should the enemy not cross the Lech, we can at any moment take the other side of the Danube, attack his line of communication, and, by recrossing the Danube lower down, instantly nullify his plans, if he should think of turning the main body of his forces against our faithful allies. Thus we can confidently wait the moment when the Imperial Russian army is ready to join us, and then easily find an opportunity in common to inflict upon the enemy the fate that he deserves. Kutuzov drew a long breath when he had finished this passage, and looked with a sympathetic and kindly expression at the member of the Hofkriegsroth. But you know, Your Excellency, that the law of courage advises you to be prepared for the worst, said the Austrian general, evidently anxious to have done with jokes and take up serious business. He involuntarily glanced at the adjutant. Excuse me, general, exclaimed Kutuzov, interrupting him and also turning to Prince Andrei. See here, my dear fellow, get from Kozlovsky all the reports from our spies. Here are two letters from Count Nostitch, and here's a letter from the Archduke Ferdinand, another still, said he, handing him a quantity of papers. Have an abstract of these made out neatly in French, as a memorandum, so that we can see at a glance all the facts that we have in regard to the doings of the Austrian army. Now then, when it is done you will hand it to His Excellency." Prince Andrei inclined his head as a sign that he comprehended from the very first word not only all that Kutuzov had said, but all that he meant to say to him. He gathered up the papers, and with a general salutation went into the reception room, stepping noiselessly over the soft carpet. Notwithstanding the fact that not much time had elapsed since Prince Andrei had left Russia, he had greatly changed. In the expression of his face, in his motions, in his gait, there was almost nothing to be recognized of his former affectation, lassitude, and laziness. He had the appearance of a man who had no time to think about the impression that he produced upon others, but who was occupied with pleasant and interesting work. His face showed more of contentment with himself and his surroundings. His smile and glance were more cheerful and attractive. Kutuzov, whom he joined in Poland, had received him very warmly and promised not to forget him treated him with more distinction than his other adjutants, and had taken him to Vienna with him, and entrusted him with the most important duties. From Vienna, Kutuzov sent a letter to his old comrade, Prince Andrei's father. Your son, he wrote, bids fair to become an officer who will be distinguished for his quickness of perception, his firmness, and his faithfulness. I count myself fortunate in having such a helpmeet. Among the officers of Kutuzov's staff, and in the army generally, Prince Andrei bore two diametrically opposite reputations, just the same as in Petersburg society. One party, the minority, regarded Prince Andrei as in some way different from themselves and all other people, and expected him to achieve the most brilliant success. They listened to him, praised him, and imitated him, and Prince Andrei was on pleasant and easy terms with these men. The other party, the majority, were not fond of Prince Andrei. They considered him haughty, cold, and disagreeable. But Prince Andrei had succeeded in winning their respect and even their fear. Coming into the reception room from Kutuzov's cabinet, 
Prince Andrei took his papers to one of his colleagues, the adjutant Kozlovsky, who was on duty and was sitting with a book at the window. "'Well, what is it, Prince?' asked Kozlovsky. "'You are ordered to draw up a memorandum to account for our not advancing. "'But why?' Prince Andrei shrugged his shoulders. "'Any news of Mac?' "'No. "'If it were true that he is defeated, we should have heard of it by this time.' "'Probably,' rejoined Prince Andrei, and started for the outer door. But at that very instant the door was flung almost into his face, and a tall Austrian general, in an overcoat, and with his head swathed in a dark handkerchief, and with the order of Maria Theresa around his neck, hurried into the room, having evidently just arrived from a journey. Prince Andrei paused. "'General-in-chief Kutuzov,' hurriedly demanded the newly arrived general, with a strong German accent, and looking anxiously on all sides, started without delay for the door of the general's private room. The general-in-chief is engaged, said Kozlovsky, hastening toward the unknown general, and barring the way to the cabinet. Whom shall I announce? The unknown general looked scornfully down on the diminutive Kozlovsky, and seemed to be amazed that he was not recognized. The general-in-chief is engaged, repeated Kozlovsky, calmly. The general's face contracted, his lips drew together and trembled. He drew out a notebook, quickly wrote something in pencil, tore out the leaf and handed it to the adjutant. Then, with quick steps, he walked over to the window, threw himself into a chair, and surveyed those in the room, as though asking why they stared at him so. Then the general lifted his head, stretched out his neck as though he were about to say something, and then, affecting to hum to himself, produced a strange sound, instantly swallowed. The office door opened, and Kutuzov himself appeared on the threshold. The general, with the bandaged head, who had apparently escaped from some peril, bowed, and hastened, with long, swift strides across the room toward Kutuzov. "'Vous voyez la maharud mach,' said he, in a broken voice. Kutuzov's face, as he stood at his office door, remained perfectly unchangeable for several moments. Then a frown ran like a wave across his brow, and passed off, leaving his face as serene as before. He respectfully bent his head, shut his eyes, silently allowed Mac to pass in front of him into the office, and then closed the door behind him. The rumor, already spread abroad, as to the defeat of the Austrians and the surrender of the whole army at Ulm, was thus proved to be correct. Within half an hour, adjutants were flying about in all directions, with orders for the Russian army, till now inactive, to prepare immediately to meet the enemy. Prince Andrei was one of those uncommon staff officers whose interest is concentrated on the general operations of the war. On seeing Mac, and learning the particulars of his defeat, he realized that half of the campaign was lost, and appreciated the painfully difficult situation of the Russian army, while his imagination vividly pictured the fate that was awaiting the army, and the part which he was about to play in it. In spite of himself, he experienced a strong feeling of delight at the thought of the shame that Austria had brought upon herself, and that perhaps within a week he would have a chance to witness and take part in an encounter between the Russians and the French, the first since the time of Suvorov. But he feared lest Bonaparte's genius should show itself superior to the valor of the Russian troops, and at the same time he could not bear the thought of his hero suffering disgrace. Agitated and stirred by these thoughts, Prince Andrei started for his room to write his father, to whom he sent a daily letter. 
In the corridor he fell in with his roommate, Nesvitsky, and the buffoon, Zerkov. As usual, they were laughing and joking. "'Why are you so down in the mouth?' asked Nesvitsky, noticing Prince Andrei's pale face and flashing eyes. "'There's nothing to be gay about,' replied Bolkonsky. Just as Prince Andrei joined Nesvitsky and Zerkov, there came toward them from the other end of the corridor the Austrian general, Strauch, who was attached to Kutuzov's staff, to look after the commissariat of the Russian army. He was with the member of the Hofkriegsroth, who had arrived the evening before. There was plenty of room in the wide corridor for the general to pass without incommoding three officers, but Zerkov, giving Nesvitsky a push, exclaimed in a hurried voice, "'They are coming! They are coming! Stand aside, please! Please make room!' The generals came along, evidently desiring to avoid embarrassing etiquette. A stupid smile spread over the buffoon Zerkov's face. "'Your Excellency,' said he in German, as he stepped forward and addressed the Austrian general, "'I have the honour of congratulating you.' He made a low bow and, awkwardly, like a child learning to dance, began to scrape first with one foot, then with the other. The member of the Hofkriegsroth gave him a stern look but concluding, by his idiotic smile, that he was in earnest, he was constrained to listen for a moment. He frowned, to show that he was listening. "'I have the honour of congratulating you. General Mack has come. He's perfectly well, save for a slight wound here,' said he, with a radiant smile, pointing to his forehead. The general frowned, and turned away, and went on his way. "'Heavens! What simplicity!' said he, angrily, after he had gone a few steps. Nesvitsky, with a laugh, threw his arms around Prince Andrei, but the latter, paler than ever, and with a wrathful look on his face, pushed him aside, and turned to Zerkov. The nervous excitement induced by the sight of Mack, by the news of his defeat, and the thoughts of what was awaiting the Russian army, found its outlet in wrath at this ill-timed jest of Zerkov's. "'If you, my dear sir,' he exclaimed scornfully, while his lower jaw twitched a little. Choose to be a buffoon. Why, I cannot hinder you. But I assure you that if you dare a second time to act like a fool in my presence, I will teach you how to behave. Nesvitsky and Zerkov were so amazed at this outburst that all they could do was to look in silence at Bolkonsky with wide-open eyes. Why, I only congratulated them, said Zerkov. I am not jesting with you. Be good enough to hold your tongue, cried Bolkonsky, and taking Nesvitsky by the arm he drew him away from Zerkov, who found nothing to say. Well, now, what's the matter, brother? asked Nesvitsky in a soothing tone. What's the matter? repeated Prince Andrei, pausing in his excitement. Why, you know well enough. Either we are officers in the service of our Tsar and our country, rejoicing at our common success and grieving over our common failure, or we are lackeys who have no interest in our master's concerns. Forty thousand men massacred and the army of our allies destroyed, and still you find it something to laugh at, said he, as though these last sentences, which were spoken in French, added to the effect of what he was saying. It is well enough for a trifler, en garçon de Rion, like that fellow whom you have made your friend, only street Arabs could find amusement in such things, said Prince Andrei, suddenly changing to Russian again, 
but pronouncing the Russian word for street Arab with a French accent. Noticing that Zerkov was still within hearing, he waited to see if the cornet had any answer to make, but Zerkov went away and left the corridor. End of chapter 3